and welcome to another Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here on her, I don't know, 112 attempts at doing this intro today. Who knows what's going on? Mercury has got me, for those of you in the know, it's Mercury is in retrograde and it is messing with me today. But anyway... <laughs> Today's episode is with the incredibly talented Raisa Ahmed. Raisa is a screenwriter and director based in Scotland and everything that she tells us on this podcast is inspiring, amazing, informative and joyful. Um, she also tells us about giving up caffeine since the beginning of the year. Uh, so for those of you who are wanting to give up something, have a little listen. I personally could not give up caffeine uh, but I have much respect for those of you that, that do. As always, you can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, and Facebook Persistent and Nasty. You can always email us if you want as well, persistentandnasty at gmail.com. As always, guys, have a great week. We love hearing your feedback, so keep it coming. So sit back, relax, Get yourself a wee cup of tea, and here we go. Well, hello, and welcome to another nasty podcast. <laughs> You've got all three of the nasty gals, and we are thrilled to be here with Reza Ahmed. Hey, I'm really excited to be here as well. We are so happy. <laughs> I know, I know. It's very exciting. Well, it's very rare that we actually get all three of us with our guest. I know, actually, really that rare. is true. Um, so I feel very privileged right now, then. You're it so only lucky. happens for special people. Oh, we have a sometimes... little wobbly table, guys. So remember, we just need to just watch. Let's not, not lean. Yeah, yes, let's, let's not do that. Lean yeah, on that. But <laughs> what I will warn you about is that when you do have all three of us, it's a bit of a riot. That's all right. I don't mind a riot. I'm used to riots a little bit. It's the film industry, isn't it? It's a complete riot. <laughs> it's I a think... beautiful segue there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Just so you can, we can tell uh, our listeners. All about our guest. Yes, that would, uh, that's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> properly introduce yourself and tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Who am I? This question always something kind of stumps me. I go, who am I? Um, I am a screenwriter and director. Um, I started working primarily in film and I then moved over into doing some telly stuff quite recently. Um, and I guess the things that I have kind of happening right now in active development is I've got a film in development with Film 4 um, another film in development with the Scottish Film Talent Network so they're both features um, I've been working on a, a CBB show uh, called Molly and Mac Aww. which has been loads of fun Actually, we uh, Katrina Bryan did our podcast. Did she? Yeah, oh, she's brilliant She, she just yeah. Oh, the, the whole yet, The whole Molly and Mac kind of experience is really really special I think and um the kids are amazing um and so I've been doing that and I've just um heard that we are shooting the phone drama that I wrote for the social um so you know the different phone dramas mm -hmm. they do so I've written the next one um so I'm really excited for that to finally be out soon um and I have as of like the past few weeks been working on a pilot for um, a, a TV show that would be aimed at like more of a young adult audience. Now that's not been commissioned by anyone. It's more something I want to send out. Um, but in a nutshell, it's 
a Syrian refugee, Nancy Drew, on the Isle of Bute. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Woo! Woo! <laughs> that sounds amazing. And you've been doing that off caffeine for the last few weeks. I, I gave up coffee at the start of this year because I'm insane. Yeah, after that long list, that long yes. list, I'm like, oh, she busy and she's just, you're not <laughs> drinking caffeine. I felt like that needed to be said. Yeah. <laughs> the giving, I mean, I know writer's coffee, it's a really natural thing. Um, but do you know what? I was finding that I was having a lot of anxiety over different things and, and not sleeping enough mm. was one of those things. And so the first thing I thought was, do I have too much caffeine in my system? And I don't, I wasn't drinking a huge amount of coffee. I'd already given up the sugar in the coffee years ago. Well so done. That was a, a good move. I used to have like three sugars in my coffee a while back. Um, and my dad still does. Really? On a bad day. Usually it's three sweeteners, or if you're from Lanarkshire, a Hermosita. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. But it it, it used to be like that bitterness with that sweetness. There was just something about it. And then I decided a while back, I wasn't going to, I was going to try and cut down sugar and that was the first way to do it. And then at the start of this year, I was like, I'm going to get my sleep into kind of a routine now because I've been freelance for two years and I still feel like I haven't found my routine. Mm. Um, And simple things like getting enough sleep, Taking care of yourself, going to the gym, walk, you know, walking even, simple things um, are always the things that suffer first. So I've just made a really conscious decision that sleep was going to be my priority. And I was going to try and get about six or seven hours instead of like three or four hours. Um, and it's massively helped, I have to say. My anxiety has gone down um, quite a bit and I sleep a lot better. Um, I still don't have a routine. But it, it's a start. <laughs> Baby steps. Baby steps, exactly. But it's amazing though, the, the simple things, like when just checking in with yourself, like, okay, I'm freaking out, I've got, I'm, I'm anxious, I, I feel like I've got a thousand things on my plate, but sort of checking in, going, did I get any sleep and am I hydrated? Are the two things <laughs> that I always kind of go to as my baseline? I think, that, I think that's there. a pivotal thing for the human race. Yeah, yeah. I think we all maybe need to check in. <laughs> Have we had enough sleep? Do you need a glass of water? Yeah, totally. And, and also, do you need sunlight? Yeah, I think going for a walk is a big thing Mm. because I definitely think that as a freelancer, because you're always stressing about doing work, you sit and do work and then you don't go outside. Yeah, and you know what I was doing? I was taking lots of different vitamins as well, and because I mean, we don't get vitamin D, not Mm. enough of it in Scotland. So I was taking that, but then I was taking like multivitamins and and other bits and bobs, omega three things like that. But then I thought to myself, hold on a second, why are you taking all these vitamins? When actually what you should be trying to do is get yourself into a position where your body is so healthy that really the only top up you need is the vitamin D because you live in Scotland and, and that's it. And and probably B12 because I eat pretty much veggie most of the time and I probably don't get enough of that. Um, so that's the other thing I did was when I cut the coffee, I just went, right, I'm going to just stop taking the vitamins. I'm going to start eating a lot better and see how I feel. And actually... I find that my energy levels, I can probably map them now in terms of how much sleep I'm getting and what my diet's been like. Um, And I definitely have more energy when I'm eating a lot more kind of fresh stuff, Mm -hmm. um, lots of fruit and veg rather than, you know, picking up something quick from somewhere Um, and and getting enough sleep. It's it's all massively helped. And it's great to take all those extra top-ups, but 
actually naturally we should be functioning as is and I think the world that we live in there's a lot of that um convenience yeah mm-hmm. and we fall for that yeah. a lot and we just we sacrifice the self-care and we sacrifice just that primary thing of looking after ourselves and when you're in the arts you are your business regardless mm-hmm. of what you're doing if you have a sick day nobody's going to pick up your slack mm-hmm. you know especially if you're the one creating um so if you're not looking after yourself, then your work is going to suffer massively. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we do struggle with it because we lack routine as freelancers. Mm-hmm. And, and and our work-life balance in this industry is completely non-existent. You completely. just have to keep, keep saying yes to opportunities and you put more and more on your plate because you don't want to be out of the game or, or, not, or passed over for something or whatever. So you're just like, uh, go, go, go all the time. And then you burn out. Or you need to pay the bills. Yeah. I mean, I think there is that kind of element of it um, where there's that kind of hierarchy that, that exists where the people that have savings or trust funds or whatever else can be really picky about what they do, what they don't do. They can take the holidays. They can take just a day off if they want. Whereas if you're thinking, if I say no to this because I need some time for myself... I don't know if anything else mm-hmm. is going to come along. Mm-hmm. So you keep saying yes to stuff because you're worried that you're not you're not going to be able to just even live, really. Yeah. I had this very conversation today because I'm fortunate enough to be working on a project that actually has a bit of budget, mm-hmm. like not just budget to just scrape by and make sure people have something, like to make sure people are treated fairly and properly paid. And the director I'm working with on it was like, oh God, right, I have to go to London on this week so I can't cover that workshop. So... I'll um I'll find someone. Don't worry, but and they can, we can take it out of my fee to fix. It. I was like, mate, it's okay. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just bring someone in, and we'll pay we'll pay them. And she, we sort of looked at each other and went, oh, <laughs> we can do that. We oh my gosh! That. But the default was to panic about it mm-hmm. and figure out how to fix it and how it would impact us and like reduce her fee or reduce her time or have her work double for not the extra cash or whatever because that is just where you automatically enter. Yeah, but I think that that also then carries on to like sometimes when you do take on too much and you like overpromise mm-hmm. and you go, oh, I'll get that done in two days time when really you should say I'll get that done in two weeks time because you're so worried about proving yourself and making sure that, you know, that they think you're amazing and they keep wanting to work with you. Yeah. Um, that actually it, it's all it's all kind of self-sabotage isn't it but we don't see it until it's too late or someone turns around to us and goes you've not been yourself or or you really need to take some time out and the number of people you know so many of my friends have said you really need to take a holiday and I go yeah yeah, yeah I'll take a holiday I'll take a holiday I haven't taken a holiday in like ages my holidays are going down to London for work and ta- adding on an extra couple of days to hang <laughs> with my friends um so I keep oh telling my myself this year I will take a holiday um, whether that happens is another question. <laughs> well, we'll check in. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure. <laughs> yeah. Make me like, take a holiday. Yeah. yeah. But you it's need important. to just book it. You need to say, that's when the, the nicest time for me to go away is, or even if it's like, that's when there's cheap flights. Yeah. You need to just book it because otherwise you will keep packing it off. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what it is. I just need to set it as a commitment yeah, in my yeah. diary and go, that's what's happening yeah. and I'm going to do it. It's a commitment to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do commitment to work so easily, yeah. but we don't do commitment to ourselves. So mm-hmm. yeah. there's your challenge. I need yeah, to book a holiday. It. Right, yeah. I'm going home and I'm going to find a holiday. In like <laughs> a few months' time, I want to see you 
uh, in Lanzarote or something, I want plenty of pictures of self care like, on beach. Just oh, sunshine. Yeah, okay. Gosh, we need we need sunshine right now, don't we? Yes. I'm ready for it. I know. Um, so, do you think that your writing has a um, changed because you're off caffeine i'm interested in the whole like lack of stimulant do you think that your ideas are flowing more do you think that it is giving you a different approach to things do you know when i first started writing um like when i when i was writing before i decided to become a writer a lot of that writing came out of being a really depressed teenager and feeling like the only way to get those feelings out was to put it on paper um and I remember there was a point a couple of years into my writing journey as a career that I had a moment where I was like oh I don't feel quite as depressed as I used to like things are okay it was like a moment of going everything is is kind of okay and yeah I have my days when there's like that dark cloud sometimes um but actually everything's okay and and teenage me would not be able to believe that this is the case. And I had a moment then where I was like, does this mean I can't write? <laughs> does this mean all the good stuff was coming out of the bad feeling? And the pained artist. Yes. Yeah. That. And, and I, I got really worried at one point going, if I'm, not, if I'm not depressed about something, if I'm not struggling with something then what am I putting onto paper? How am I going to get those struggles out? And I had those feelings back then. And then I just kind of got on with it and I did it. And and I realized actually the writing isn't linked to anything specific other than the love of that story mm-hmm. and, and the need to tell the story that I'm telling. And actually some of those things I was just building as crutches for myself. It was kind of that, it, it was this weird form of imposter syndrome where you just kind of go, I don't belong in this world and, and I can't do this. But the depression was a crutch. And in that same way, I guess coffee in a sense is a crutch. So I did get into a routine where it was like, right, I'm going to spend all day writing. I'd make a giant pot of coffee mm-hmm. and I'd have it. And I'll, I'd just go through it all day thinking that the 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 caffeine was fuel mm. but actually it, it wasn't um I've replaced it with herbal teas I love yogi teas yes they give you little messages they and do I love, I love that it. um women's energy is great I know I love women's energy <laughs> yeah. I, great. I mean that's my yeah, energy yeah, now yeah um but yeah like just herbal teas um I, I drink a lot of them instead and actually what that's doing going back to the self-care thing is it means that I'm hydrating more mm-hmm. um, and I am getting more water because I'm terrible with drinking enough water. But if I'm doing that, then... And actually, it means that I'm I'm not going, I'll just have another cup of coffee and then I'll power through the mm-hmm. next two or three hours. I'm going, I'll write for two hours. I'm just going to get up and go for a walk mm-hmm. and go do something else and I'll come back to it when I feel like coming back to it. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel as urgent in a way and that's a positive because... I think there's something really masochistic in that that feeling that you need to constantly be creating mm. and that that taking a break is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and I think things like coffee and energy drinks and whatever else your vice might be add to that. Um, I'm sitting with a can of Coke, by the way, guys. I mean, <laughs> one is fine. One is fine. Yeah. One is fine. Um, don't become addicted. That's the that's the <laughs> no, definitely the not. danger. <laughs> <laughs> but it but it is that, and so 
I, I don't think it suffered for the lack of coffee. I think probably what what's happened is my my work life balance has gotten better. Fair. Yeah, I, and and I'm learning to say no to things, which is the hardest thing in my life. Mm. So, I think everybody find well. See everybody. I shouldn't speak for everybody. I do think as freelancers, as we said, we do find it hard to say no. But I also sometimes wonder if that's something as well about being a female, about it being hard to say no because there's that idea of us being polite as well. Yeah, um, I can see that. So I always wonder about that. I mean, I had to. I had a conversation last week. Someone had approached me about a film project that they'd had um, in the works for a little while, and they'd sent me the script that they'd written. Um, and I read it, and I could see the merits of the project, um, and, and there's a story to tell in it. And then I had to have a conversation with him on the phone about it, and my gut was going, you can't do this project. Like, this is, one, you're probably not the right person for it. There's a different energy that needs to go to it, and it's not your energy. And two, if you take this on, when the hell are you going to do it? Like, you don't have the time or, or you know, the headspace to do this. Um, and it was one of, it's the first time I've had to, like, be that absorbed by a project and then say, I'm really sorry, but I don't think I can do this. And I was terrified. I don't know why, but I was just terrified. He was really lovely. He was like, look, I'd love to work with you one day. And, you know, if we can work together in the future, that would be great. Um, and he was really, really nice. But that, that before that phone call, I was absolutely dreading it. Mm. I was just, I didn't know how I was going to have that conversation. Um, so I think there's yeah there's something in that isn't there that we we just feel like we have to say yes to everything we don't want to let someone down Mm -hmm. yeah but I think even just in the fact that you did that and the world didn't end you said no and he didn't turn around and say well you're the worst and I hope you have a terrible day and stub your toe (laughs) (laughs) like he turned around and was like you know that's fine we'll find something else potentially that project he comes forward with the next time will feel absolutely yeah. aligned with you yeah but, do that's you know, exactly it isn't it when I when I first started I remember I did an apprenticeship to get started I remember someone said to me um one of the people that was leading that said to me you know you should say yes to every opportunity don't say no to anything say yes to every opportunity and and that's what people were doing but then I was just kind of like yeah but I want to pick and choose what I do and I remember once I finished that year-long apprenticeship I was actually offered a job down in London um, doing some drama development on a TV show um, for a production company. And I'd done, basically I'd done two weeks work experience, come back to Scotland. They'd phoned me, they said, we want you to come down, do three weeks paid with us. So I went down and I did three weeks paid with them and then they offered me a job. But the salary was rubbish. Mm. I did get them to bump it up a bit, but even then I was saying, look, I earn more in my part-time job that mm. I've had since I was a student, if I work full-time for them, than what you're offering me. And that's Glasgow wages compared to London wages. Yeah. Like, that's insane. So I turned them down, and I remember the people that were kind of running the apprenticeship were, were raging with me because they were like, why did you turn that down? And I had other reasons. My grandpa had died the year before, and I wanted to be around family. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be there for my gran as well. But I, my gut was going, if you do this, you will probably do extremely well in this job, and you would probably, you know, this is... 10 years ago, I would probably be in some really good exec sort of role. But that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to write and I wanted to create my own stuff. And and I just, I made that decision kind of straight away. And since then, I've just, I've been very kind of 
open about saying no to things, you know, or, or saying, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. Um, and sometimes that's a little bit scary, but it's really funny. Sometimes it feels really easy to do that, but at other times it feels like I'm letting someone down. Um, but I'm trying to get better at it because I think the more that you vocalize whether something isn't working, the more you fix the problems that exist because one person needs to speak up and say, this is wrong or this doesn't work for us to make the industry fairer and more accessible mm -hmm. for everyone. And I think that fear that you felt was obviously justified because your apprenticeship um, group, the people that you had that with were, like you say, they were raging with you and it's like, well, it wasn't right for me. Yeah. You shouldn't be raging, you should be supportive. You should be, you know, nurturing me in a way that says make your own decisions and the ones mm -hmm. that are right for you not just for your career but for your personal life and what you want out of it um so i think that narrative of like oh my god why did you turn that down that's terrible well why aren't you questioning why it was terrible pay like for yeah. a start you know, yeah things like that like yeah i think um you can see why it's frightening when you get fed that narrative so and so early on yeah. in your career as yeah. well because i think i think we and I hope, I hope people aren't doing this anymore, but I think for quite a long time, there was a feeling of this industry is so hard. You just need to grab hold of mm -hmm. anything that comes your way. Whether you like it or not, grab hold of it. Do whatever you want, whatever you can to get to whatever you, you, you want to be. And actually, what I tell a lot of people, so I do quite a bit of mentoring with young people as well, and I always just say to them, look, at the end of the day, it's about your truth. And if the opportunities that are coming your way does not align with what your truth is and what you feel in your gut is right for you, turn it down. Something better is going to come along and something that's more suited to you is going to come along. Because if we keep, if we keep just pandering to the people that are in control, that are doing so much wrong, then they'll keep doing all that stuff wrong and, and they'll never go, hold on a second, why is nobody accepting this opportunity? What's wrong with it? So it, it's that thing of we need to take some really brave steps, um, which can feel really terrifying mm -hmm. in the moment. But, you know, when you look back, you kind of go, I'm kind of proud of myself that I did that. It's, it's a good thing that I did that because my life's worked out the way it has. Absolutely. And yeah, and through your bravery, that will empower other people to be brave. And so it, it grows exponentially from one person being brave and saying, actually, that isn't my truth. And that's not the right one for me. And someone else will see that and go, gosh, they turned that down. I thought that you would need to grab an opportunity like that. And, and then hopefully at some point we can move away from calling these things brave. Yes. To yes. Just it being the status quo or how our industry should work. Because I see a lot of the... Um, initiatives that are similar to ours um, or activists or, or campaigners in our industry uh, challenging that concept of well, well this is just the way it's always been I was like well, that doesn't mean it's right no. like, yeah <clears throat> in fact if you are fine if you find yourself saying in response to something that's just the way it's always been then you're probably there's something probably broken at the yeah. core of what we're talking about here but also you're maybe in the wrong industry because because what's amazing about the arts is we we break rules and mm. and we we change things in a way that a lot of other industries can't do because they're so rigid and the arts is 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 freer than that and if we can't do it in the arts then who can yeah you know it just it seems so silly to have that as a as a reason for something and maybe there's there's a level of fatigue with some people where maybe they've tried to change it in the past mm. and and the system hasn't been ready for it yeah. but you know there's such an energy now for change 
um, in all kind of areas of the arts that I just think the time is now for us to, to say no to things or to say that's all wrong mm-hmm. and we'll tell you who to speak to to reshape it and make it make it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Talking about the industry, <laughs> take us back. Talking about the industry, um, yeah. How do you find being a female in our industry, and in, well, in particular, in screenwriting industry? How do how do you find it? So there's two things here, I guess. One is you can't see me on the podcast, but I'm a visibly Muslim woman, so I wear a hijab. No way. What? Yes. I mean, oh my gosh, you can't even see it. Um, So that was one of the biggest challenges for me in terms of my own levels of confidence and imposter syndrome, Mm. because I'm always the only one in a room with a hijab on. (laughs) And I stick out like a sore thumb often. I was in a writer's room in London recently and there was another um, writer from Wales and she had a hijab and I just thought, oh my God, there's someone else. (laughs) Thank God. Um, And she's wonderful and she's a spoken word poet and uh, she's trying to do in Wales what I'm doing here and I'm like, yes, we are everywhere. It's great. (laughs) Um, And there are more people out there that look like me that want to do this or are trying to do this. And But in Scotland, I think when I started... What was happening from the day I started, I was being asked to be on like diversity panels at festivals and things like that. And there was this weird thing happening where people thought I was super experienced and I was going, I'm new, please help me, please give me opportunities, mm-hmm. please mentor me and train me and all of that. But but because I was on panels just talking about my life experiences, they just thought I was like 10 years ahead of where I was. And so what that does to you mentally is it just heightens that imposter syndrome because you're just like, why am, I, why am I speaking like an expert on these panels? I don't feel ready to be an expert on these panels. There was a lot of poster childing, things like that. And it took me a little bit of time to go, how can I use this to my advantage? And it took time and experience and me gaining a level of confidence to do that. But it also took a hell of a lot of me having to sit down and talk to very close friends and talk out exactly how I was feeling about it because... There, it, it was very conflicting mm. what what I was where I was being placed and where I felt I was in my career all I wanted to do was make stuff instead I was having the conversations to allow people like me to make stuff <laughs> and and that's the thing when you're coming from an under, underrepresented group you're not just creating your art you're also doing the activism to allow yourself to create the art and the problem is when you get around to creating the art, you're sometimes so exhausted that you're just like, now I need to just take a bit of time off so I can refocus and do that. So there's that element of being someone that is very clearly different. And and people like me are badly represented in the media constantly. We're victims. We are killed because of honour. We are disowned. We are terrorists. You know, those are the representations. Even Even up until very recently, like last year, Bodyguard was ridiculous, you know, one stereotype to another stereotype and then them celebrating it like it was a victory. You're just like, no, women in headscarves are being attacked on the street because of your TV show. Like, this is a load of shit. Sort it out. And, and you know, then there were no apologies yeah. for it either. Yeah. Um, and so I, I know that I have a responsibility and I have a level of power now where I can go into rooms and have those conversations but to be honest, 
in a way, being put on those panels and things like that gave me a level of confidence and a bit of a voice as much as it it damaged my confidence levels early on at this stage it now has given me the confidence to go in and say that's wrong mm-hmm. don't do that um, you can't do that and actually you need to speak to this person um, or you know just because I'm South Asian doesn't mean I can write all South Asian characters or just because I'm Muslim doesn't mean I can write like an uh, African Muslim experience I don't know what that is so I, I feel confident enough to speak out about a lot of that stuff um, I think there are loads of really talented female screenwriters out there. I just think that the level of recognition they get is very little in comparison to their male counterparts. I mean, we just need to see what's been happening at the award shows recently. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that, gosh, I can't remember how many years it's been since a woman... I think the last woman that won an Oscar for a screenplay was, um, gosh, what Diablo Cody for Juno. Really? I think that's what it was. That was a while ago. That must be, what, 2004? Something, yeah. Quite a while ago. Definitely, and 10 years ago at least, I think. But the question then is... She's checking. Are are female screenwriters being only given a certain level of opportunity? Because obviously the films that win big at award shows, like the Oscars and BAFTAs, the big award shows, are films that have big budgets mm-hmm. they have big companies behind them mm-hmm. that can that can push them for these award shows I mean if you look at something else like the independent spirit awards and things like that there's a much more realistic um sense of what's going on in the industry I mean my, one of my favorite films from the last kind of award seasons was the farewell and it got zero recognition <sighs> You know, in the Oscars, and I was just like, "What are you? What are you doing?" Anything like just like, oh, I can't. That film, I can't with it. I can't. It was just start crying. Just can't. It's so beautiful. It's It's so so universal. It's like we were talking about earlier about there are things that are universal, and that 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 is is so universal, and 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 the fact that it had subtitles seemed to be an issue. uh, and, you know, and for someone who this is one of their very early films as a director, a feature, um, I think Lulu Wang did an amazing job. It was just so beautiful. And and I just, that's that's the film I thought that should have had a nomination, yeah, at, least a, at least a screenwriting nomination, if nothing else. Um, and so I think there's a huge issue in terms of the opportunity that female screenwriters are getting in terms of the risk that companies take on them. Yeah. Um and, and the ones that do get a risk taken on them, it's usually a level of nepotism or they have a champion in the industry mm-hmm. who takes that risk on them. And, and you know, only very few women have those champions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that can be quite problematic. But next year at the award seasons, I would love to see lots of women be nominated and win because those voices are important. And and actually, even with them, so I've not seen Little Women yet, because I'm terribly behind on some of my films. But I did hear that when the awards stuff was starting to happen, that loads of critics were refusing to go see Little Women because it, it's a women's film. Like they just weren't wanting to see it. And I was just and they were doing this. I mean, Parasite is a whole other question, but there were some that were refusing to go see Parasite because it had subtitles. subtitles. And you I, were just... That's just completely unacceptable. Like, mm-hmm. that's it's just... just <laughs> uh, fuck 
Yeah, and there's, there's a whole... Yeah, and there's a whole... And do your reviews. Yeah. You yeah. she looks stupid. Like, how do they so say that? And, like, yeah, like, that makes you, like, like, dumb. That makes you look, like... like it makes how you are you look, not embarrassed yeah, to say that? It makes you that, look like, like an absolute wanker. Yeah. I feel like there was something on Sunday night, actually, mm-hmm. before the Oscars started, and I'm now really trying hard to rack my brains to remember. Maybe it was on YouTube. Who knows? But it was along this fact, and they were discussing that things do need to have a shake-up. Um, we talked about this in the yeah. last podcast anyway, but actually what they were saying was the exactly that, like that these people who are um, Academy voters, in particular, I'm picking the Academy because, mm-hmm. well, just recent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're refusing to go and see things. I'm like, how can you possibly be allowed to... Have a voice in that. that. Yeah, exactly. If you are not going, if you are not seeing everything that is being considered, how can you vote? Vote, exactly. And interestingly, what I was seeing on Twitter, Edgar Wright, I don't know if you guys follow him at all, but he was just, he was just going, I've watched all of the films and I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing as a voter. I've watched every single film and now I'm going to go vote. And then he voted, he goes, I've put my votes in, and he said something like, I'm, I'm sorry that I can't nominate Mad Max for everything or something. <laughs> um, but it was just that thing of, he was purposely being vocal there and mm, saying, yeah. look, I've watched them all because that's my job, job yeah. as, as a member of the Academy to watch them all. It's the same thing. When I'm voting in the, the BAFTA Scotland stuff, mm-hmm. I sit down and I watch everything. How can I watch, how can I vote if I've not watched something? Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's really unfair. Yeah. And the fact that that's just like people being vocal about that saying, especially for idiotic reasons, that the academy they'll go well, well you're not voting then. Go yeah. do your job. Go do your yeah. homework the way assigned you. Yeah, like, absolutely. That doesn't or make any off, sense. Or you're off the list. Yeah, like it's just that's just completely barking. Yeah. So, I mean, there, uh, sorry, there is a whole other thing with that though as well, isn't there? And this is about how our structures go because who's going to turn around and question De Niro on how many of the films that he watched before he voted? I just mean that as it, to put that out there. It's like something that we have to be aware of that not all voters of the Academy are... There, there are some big stars there who I don't... I, to be fair, maybe De Niro did watch them all. Don't know. Who knows? I have no idea. Who knows? <laughs> Bob, do you know? Bobby. Bob, hey, Bobby. Bob. <laughs> do you know? I mean, I kind of. There's part of me that really hopes that he did because I kind of feel like he's a socialist and that is the kind of thing yeah. that he would do. Um, but I'm pretty sure there's quite a few of them. That... I think like, you get that like star power to mean that they yes. can do what they want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but then you know we've got. I mean, it is only a big core, rotten at its core, is allowing people to turn around and say things. I'm not going to go watch it because it's a women's movie, or I'm not going to go watch it because it's got subtitles. The fact that they feel empowered to say that in the first place at all speaks to a really core problem of like, (laughs) really? It should be a case of, well, you shouldn't be part of this this group, of of this group, of the BAFTAs or of the Academy, whatever it might be. Why are you a member if you are saying that because this film has subtitles or because it's a women's film that you're not going to watch it. I'm still really confused as to why Little Women is a women's film because it's got Little Women in the title. Like, I mean, it's got a lot of women in it. (laughs) Oh my God. I know, there's like more than three. And they talk to each other. they talk to each other. And they've each got individual developed personalities. It's wild. Somebody needs to rein it right in. (laughs) That is taking it too far. Three women with actual developed characters. Feminism. You, hang on, right? Feminism there. gone right. <laughs> but 
it's all right though because it's pretty white. So <laughs> yes, I mean to be fair, it's very white. Um, on the subject of Parasite, I just I just have to say, what a magnificent film! I don't know how people around the table feel about it. I but love I it. Absolutely love it. So I haven't seen it yet. Oh, see, you're it in once. for a treat. It's I am excited to see it. Bloody, so. it's wild. It's, it's completely wild. Absolutely wild. We can't talk about it because people are listening and they haven't seen it, and Elaine hasn't seen I haven't it. Haven't seen yeah, it. Yet. So there's yeah, so, so many twists and turns, and it keeps you on your toes. So like, I am so say, I am super excited to see it. Yeah. So I am um, yeah I haven't seen it yet. Like this is the thing. Like we talked about this about the Oscars the other week when we did our podcast, and I was like I haven't seen half of them at that point. I hadn't even seen Little Women, and I was still like, but obviously I was like I'm voting for Greta. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, ridiculous. With your With what? Uh, yeah, I got made in the post. Oh, but do you know what? I finally watched Lady Bird the other day. Uh huh. I did not like it. Lou is with you on that one. I just, I was like, I don't get, I don't get the hype. I hate her. Like, (laughs) Lady Bart? Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I just didn't get the hype. And, and I just wonder, like, how much someone's connections help them get more work and and all of that. But you know what? And maybe this is, again, I don't know if I'm, where this thought process is coming from, but in a weird way, I was happy for it to be mediocre. Yeah. Because it was helmed by a woman. Yeah. And she was allowed that moment to make a film yeah. that was a bit... Because men meh. get to make men mediocre to films all the time. And they get, they get lauded and they get plaudits and they get acknowledged for awards. And I sort of, in a weird way, was like... Okay, you know what? That's, that's a good point. This is a yeah. This yeah. moment for other other people. Other so filmically, for me, I actually um, I really feel really bad because I still haven't checked who the cinematographer was on Little Women. Misha's on it. It's um, <laughs> my ghetto. Um, utterly, there's some utterly beautiful shots in that film. Like I just was like, yeah, please yeah. let it be a female cinematographer. Yorick Lasso. Oh, fuck off, Yorick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. He looks like a friend of the I mean, um, Sorry, I was one... I, w- the I was one <laughs> a lady. Yorick, your cinematography is stunning. Absolutely <laughs> stunning. Um, but I I thought, yeah, I thought Greta's direction was beautiful. I'll have to go see it. It's and one of the women. ones I've not had a chance to see. Because um, you're busy. Because you're really busy. The, the, the scripts you have to write, and well, that's a good problem to have. There's that. Yes, there is that. Um, but it, I, I try and watch as many as I can. It's just sometimes I feel like someone should just pay you to watch films mm. as well as write because you just you get so caught up in the, the making that you don't have time to do the watching mm-hmm. and you, you really need a balance of both. Yeah. And I guess that goes back to that systemic issue of the membership of these um, different organisations, like actually if all these people are working all the time, when are they watching the films that they then have to vote for, Mm -hmm. you know? And if they're not getting a DVD sent to their house, then does that mean that they're not going to watch it? And that then comes back to if female screenwriters and female directors are only getting lower budget films with tiny budgets when it comes to award season then those companies are not going to be able to send out those dvds to all mm-hmm. those people that can't get to a cinema and then that that cycle just continues so it's that thing of you know i, I feel like male directors are given a chance to go from doing tiny mediocre films to blockbusters so easily mm-hmm. but women really need to have to prove themselves in a totally different way and and I think that's where a lot of confidence issues and imposter issues come for women because they just kind of, 
we we are to some extent naturally more cautious um, and it, it's that thing that we were talking about where we want to make sure everyone's happy and 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 sometimes it's just a part of someone's nature to do that and we might take a little bit longer because we just want to I know for myself and my directing journey I'm not taking any leaps because for myself I want to make sure I am happy and confident and I'm doing a good job on the small stuff before I get to a point where I say, right, I'm, I want to do the big thing because I don't want to be doing the big thing and freaking out. I want to be doing the big thing and loving every minute mm-hmm. of it. And that's the journey that I want for myself. But I also I'm, think subconsciously probably it's coming from a place of if I mess up the big thing, I'll not have another chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's Whereas- part of... Sorry to no, you go out and you start to That's part of that whole kind of, I don't know if it's a quote or if it's, there's a kind of statistic that mm. says men will apply for jobs that yeah. they are mm. underqualified for and or it's got 70%. 70% qualified for, whereas women will feel they need to meet 90 70, 70% of men will apply for a job that they feel that they are um, something like 45% qualified for. Mm-hmm. Women will apply for a job. Um, that they feel that they are 95% qualified for. And, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's like such a big yeah. jump that they can't even... But yeah. it, it's well, also yeah. part of the fact that women don't have the opportunities... As, By the as way, that the, might yeah. not be the right amount of uh, percentages, <laughs> just in case. Numbers, but that's the gist. But it's, if we've not got that space to trial and error, like making a film like Lady Bird, that you kind of go, oh, that was a bit of a flop. But it wasn't a flop, but, but it was it, a me- mediocre film. Yeah. For, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, and if you feel like the opportunities aren't there, then you don't want to waste a single opportunity. Exactly. And it is, yeah. it's just the whole thing. If, if you felt like you were going to get another opportunity, then you would take the risk yeah. and say, well, I'll just see what I can do and I'll, I'll do my best shot. And if it's not an absolute roaring success, yeah. then I'm not going to beat myself up about it. If it's just <laughs> it's just a little bit. Of a there's also this thing in this. No, 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 you're absolutely right. I just feel like there's something that, that's, that I'm thinking... And I don't have statistics to back myself. Mm-hmm. This is just anecdotally. You just you meet, you tend to meet men who are like, well, of course you. I bashed this out in an hour. Of course you're going to read it. And it's like, who are you? What's going on? Yeah. Whereas women, like, and I speak for myself here. I can't speak for everyone. But when I'm writing, the biggest slog is I self-edit and I mm-hmm. hate every single word that comes out, and I scrap it and go back, scrap it and go back because I'm so self-critical. I don't have that instinct. Or I'm that exactly the same. That I, I do that. Yeah, and a lot of men seem to just go, ah, you know, here you go, here's five. And so we, like, I, and that, that is, is where does that come from? Is it does it does it stem from childhood, and or is it just so ingrained in our society that we can't even see it? Like where it comes from that a guy can do something and just hand over, whereas we, you two females sitting here mm-hmm. as writers, are like. I self-edit, I do that. I'm not saying that guys don't, and I'm not saying oh, no, that they're... Of course, but, of course sure, they do. But that idea... Um, yeah, big sweeps. Don't, yeah. Be, don't be writing in. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wonder... Well, that's cute. You think people who are going to write in. <laughs> yeah. We'll get flooded with postcards. <laughs> Wait for it. I'm excited for the mail. <laughs> the mail mail. The mail mail. <laughs> I mean, I, I do wonder if it, if it does go back to that thing of men see themselves reflected in everything Mm. because they have been the ones in control for so long. And I say men, but really we mean privileged straight white men for the most part. Um, And rich 
privileged straight white men. Let's be. Uh, you, there are lots of little yeah. issues with you know. There are layers. Yeah, there are lots of layers. Um, I know. I know. You know, white male working class writers that have the exact same yeah. issues as we yeah. do. Um, and so I do wonder if if you see yourself as a norm, then you have this confidence that's been there from birth because you 100% fit in. You always mm-hmm. fit in. Your, your, your place is never challenged. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're different in any respect, it might be something so tiny that you feel like your your place is challenged or there's only a certain number of spaces for people like you and if you fail they've got the next person lined up for that opportunity so if the level of opportunity isn't matching up to the number of people then you do feel a little bit like you can't mess up because if you mess up you've lost your shot Mm -hmm. and you don't want to lose your shot whereas people that are the status quo um, is that the right way of saying it Yeah. yeah the people that are the status quo don't have those worries. They just go, oh, well, if I mess that up, I'll do another one, you know? And and they just keep having people invest in them because people, again, with the money, are really familiar with this type of person Mm -hmm. making films Mm -hmm. or making art in general. They're not used to people with certain barriers making things because people with barriers will talk about those barriers and they will they will question things in scripts because they won't be authentic yeah. because they've lived through that. Um, and then suddenly what we're doing is we're disrupting things. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think that's what makes the money people freak out. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because I've had conversations around um, friends that have tried to pitch projects and try to get them picked up. And often what happens in film is your distribution company can come on right at the start, just even at development stage, um, and and they can start to put in money from development stage. So when you get to casting, if, for example, you're casting something with an actor of colour, if the actor of colour isn't considered bankable, then they'll say you can't have him or her you need someone that's bankable. So that small number of people that have managed to make it from that community will get all the roles because they think, oh, they're bankable. Mm-hmm. And the people that are coming up have a real struggle because even though you as a director or a producer might want to invest in them and think they are the perfect person for that role, if you don't have the clout, then the money is what talks and the money is what will stop you from from getting things made. And and I guess that's one of the challenging things when you come from an underrepresented group is you might be writing this stuff, but then when it comes to financing it, you you do have that little voice at the back of your head going, will I ever get this financed? Because like one of the projects, in fact, both the projects I'm working on have only South Asian cast. Now you can count on one hand how many South Asian actors are considered bankable. Mm-hmm. Um and none of them would be right for either of my films. So we would be looking for new talent. And I just have to keep working and, and hoping mm-hmm. that the premise of the ideas is enough for them to invest in them. Um, but it's really crap because if I was saying I'm going to, it's an all white film, then I could probably cast someone who isn't top talent and they would happily go, yeah, they're bankable enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's frustrating that we give it a finite amount of seats. Why are we not adding more seats well, and saying that we can put more people in? Why do they say that we only need... Or they can say, but why is there that kind of feeling that 
the room has only so much space for so many people. Or the equalities like pie, that yeah. meme that goes yeah. around. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Is that, that disruption you were talking about it's, is that that's what gets people's knickers into twisting yeah. because they think when you if you disrupt the apple cart, they'll fall out and yeah. lose we're their not, apples. Yeah, we're not taking... I'm really yeah, stretching not, that metaphor. Yeah, we're not but, taking yeah. a seat from someone. No. We're just making more seats. But this, this thing about bankability is really interesting to me because I feel like the people who say that are being proven wrong every time yes. they, the, a story does make it to that level that represents um, a group that hasn't been part of the status yeah. quo. Mm -hmm. it, you know, we can show them receipts um, because there are audiences out there, great swathes of audiences yeah. who aren't cis, straight, white, rich men are hungry for content that reflects them and their world. So I feel like when you put it there, the 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 receipts speak for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but so often it's like this idea of like often it's a thing of unless there's a there's loads of them doing it, they all they might not believe it. They might like say it's, it's a fluke. fluke. Yeah, right. it, it just it just so happens it's happened. Um, and 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 it's just kind of like, are you are you have you looked at the stats? But you know the arts in general, like even when you you talk about. Um, barriers to getting into the arts if you talk to like public funding bodies often they'll come back to you with um where's the research and you're just like okay so now I need to find money to do the research, research. to prove the point I'm making and then I come back to you and hope that you believe my research and then invest in it in the way that I think you should invest in it, rather than using a common sense approach and going, hold on a second, our content isn't reflective of our audiences mm -hmm. and even our communities. Um, so there, there is this, people are afraid to take risks. And I think that's a real shame because we, the problem is that they're worried about people failing and art only gets better when you fail, right? Mm -hmm. We know that. We only develop as, as creators when we have things that fail and don't work because uh, we learn from them. We don't learn from successes. We learn from failures. Um, but also, if you're not taking risks, you're, you're kind of going, I love that idea. It's great, but we just can't, we just can't make it. So you're, you're maybe leading on creatives up to a point and then going, thanks for all that work you've put in. Yeah. But we are not quite brave enough to give you the money to go and make it. And, and I think that's a real shame. Um, there, are, there are people out there that are breaking down those barriers and there are, there are execs that are brilliant. I mean, I've had an amazing time working with Film4. Um, they are absolutely wonderful. And, you know, me going in as um, a first-time commissioned feature writer with them, they were brilliant to me in terms of the deal they gave me. Um, my producer, she's an absolute powerhouse and she's really taking care of me in that respect as well. But when we've gone in for notes, their kind of approach has been, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but would this happen and would that happen? So they, even though they have years and years of experience and successes and awards and all of that, they look at me and they go, well, you have the life experience mm -hmm. of what you're writing about or the community that you're writing about. We're not going to presume to know what they would and wouldn't do. Um, this is what we think, but correct as if we're wrong. And honestly, the first time that well happened... Done. Well done, Film 4. I was just like, I was like, <clears throat> you're asking me? Like, you're the expert. What's going on here? But it was just the most mind-blowing thing and I just thought to myself, gosh. And then on the other hand, 
Um, on other projects I've been developing, I've had people tell me to go watch stuff about women getting taken on away for forced marriages and stuff. I'm like, but I'm not writing anything about this, so why are you telling me to watch this stuff? So there's a real disconnect with some people in terms of what they understand. Just because I'm writing a film about, you know, South Asian women doesn't mean that you find the first thing about South Asian women and tell me to watch it. It's a road trip film. Tell me to watch Thelma and Louise. Tell me to watch The Motorcycle Diaries. Tell me to watch something else. Don't tell me to watch the thing about the girl that's put on a plane to go get married to someone. There's no no elements of my film in this other than... But it happens. It does happen. That's bizarre. I'm I'm sorry that that happens. (laughs) Like, that's just... It's inexcusable, yeah. but it's it's the ignorance and it's just so frustrating. It is, but the thing is, I think I've gotten to a point where I just call it out now. Mm-hmm. I actually, I just went back and said, why am I watching this? Uh-huh. What um, was their answer? They didn't give me one. Yes. <laughs> they didn't have one. In yeah, fact, of course they didn't. One, they probably one person was very embarrassed that Good. someone had suggested this. Good. Um, but it, it was it was one of these things where I was just like, come on. Tell me why you want... This is so far from what I'm doing. If there's something really specific in it that you think I'll get out of it, just explain that to me and tell me why I'm watching it. But if I read the synopsis and go, this is absolutely nothing to do with what I'm working on, why am I going to spend my time watching this? What am I going to get from it? Um, And you do have that. I mean, I remember really early in my career, I was in London and I was pitching to a, a company... Um, who had invited me and it was around the time that you had all the, the young adult sort of vampire movies Twilight was out all of that was mm-hmm. all the rage and I was thinking all these young adult films have really white protagonists right and I thought what if I wrote something and I had I had something that started as a bit of a, a novel idea and a young adult novel idea before I even got into film and I was like this could make a really good kind of fantasy film and um South Asian protagonist and I went in and I pitched it it was kind of revisionist Beauty and the Beast with a bit of Chinese mythology and a bit of um, Greek and Irish mythology so a mix of mythologies and stuff and and, um, (laughs) it was about the soul and things like that And, (laughs) and I went in and I pitched it and he's like oh this sounds great and then he turned around to me and goes I think we could probably get finance for it if your protagonist was white and I said, thanks, but no thanks, I'm leaving now. And I just walked out of the room because I was like, I pitched you this project by starting by saying, all these young adult films have really white protagonists and I want us to create something that young girls of colour will go, I, oh, I see myself reflected yeah. in that in some way. And the first thing you say to me is, let's take that element out. So you do, you do get it constantly... Um, and you just have to just keep fighting back. And I guess the more you do it, the more confident you get. But what I have realized is the, the higher up you go in terms of the people you're speaking to, um, the more respect they have for you mm-hmm. um, and the more they're willing to listen, especially now when people see that there is an issue in terms of representation of so many different communities. Mm-hmm. People are willing to listen whether they put their, their money where their mouth is is another question. Um, but I, I've gotten to a point where I'm just like, I know what I will do and I know what I won't do. And I will very openly um, say to someone, look, you've done that wrong. I won't do it in a confrontational way. Um, 
I will do it in a way that hopefully makes people realise their real life impacts. Like the whole thing with the bodyguard. Mm. Um, so many people were commenting on it and I just went, I need to comment on this, but I can't just comment on it and say they did something wrong. So the way in which I commented on it actually was just putting a really real life um, view on it. And, and it was insane. My Twitter went absolutely nuts. I couldn't look at my phone for a day because it was constant retweeting and people replying and things like that. Um, and and it was it was absolutely nuts how many people kind of resonated with it as well. But what it did do is it was all positive responses. Mm. There was not a single negative response to what I'd said. And it's because I think I wasn't confrontational about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going, I'm calling you out. You've done something really shit. I was saying, let me talk about the real life impact of what something like this does. And I didn't even name the bodyguard in it, but everybody knew what I was talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes it is that sort of like, that more sneaky approach to making people understand. But that's what storytelling is, mm-hmm. isn't it? Storytelling yeah. is us getting people to step into someone else's shoes without them realising that they're that's stepping into someone else's yeah, shoes. Exactly. That's how we create change, yep. I yes. think. Yeah. And that's at the core of what we've been about since we began, is just trying to sort of hammer home this idea that our stories reflect the world mm-hmm. and they're not doing that right at the moment. So and that and I think, you know, the media and the content and cultural content we consume programmes our brains in ways that we don't fully yeah. appreciate. So like something like The Bodyguard is is the you know, the top show that everybody's watching yeah. and then yeah. it's getting all the awards and the great yeah. reviews. It's like the damaging stereotypes that that presents are not being challenged. But then, but then, um, Keely Hawes, who was in yeah. it, is now doing that other show about the girl that's victim of an honor killing, and her the girl is based on a true story, and the girl's sister is so against this show, oh. and and she's still bloody making it, and I'm just like, are you completely blind and deaf? Like, come on. People are saying something to you. Can you not see the impact that this is having on people? The girl whose life this is based on, her sister is saying this show is a terrible idea yeah, because what they're doing is they're telling her they're telling the story through the eyes of a white policewoman, mm-hmm. and it's not. And so then it becomes this it's white not, savior yeah, thing, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And so it's this thing of like actually it is everyone's responsibility. Even if you're an actor, you need to step up and, and, and question the things that, that you're seeing, that you're being cast in as well, or, or the scripts that you're getting. You have to... And I, I know that it's hard. I absolutely know that it's hard, especially if there's so few roles for you. But if you have any level of clout... And she you does. Need to well, do that's it. the thing. Like, she does. You know, anecdotally, I know actors who are struggling who've turned out parts. Like, yeah. Um, you know... White, white women, white female actresses who are doing their best and just trying to get by who don't have any particular note. They might have done bits and yeah. bits, but they've, you know, they've actively turned away work for those reasons. So when you see it further up the chain, someone who has the, has the privilege and ability to do that because she will work again, you'll probably get applauded for it. So she'll get a job by yeah. virtue of making that decision because it will be a decision she can make in the public domain. Um, that's what really irks me. It's like you, like there are people on the, on the ground level, the grassroots level, struggling and are, are principled enough to make these decisions. And it will actually impact them because they'll yeah. be turning mm-hmm. down something that might have paid their bills. Yeah. Um, so when you're further up the chain, I don't think you... I think you kind of forfeit the right to 
Do I use that as an excuse? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, but and that, again, I want to be empathetic and yeah, I do understand. It, it's also. just, it, it, it's really frustrating. And even, even people that then take on projects that they have zero experience mm -hmm. with and either they don't do the proper research um, or, or they just decide they're going to do it because it's a bit of money or whatever it is. Like I've had, I've had conversations about projects which I know that I would not be right for um, and what I'll do is I'll go, I'm not the right person for this, but let me give you a list of, of mm -hmm. names yeah. of people yeah. you should speak to. I mean, last year I had a meeting and they were talking about a project which was um, aimed at the LGBTQI community. And I said, look, I have zero experience of being someone within that community, but I know so many talented writers from that community. Can I give you their names? Can I introduce you to them? Because in order to make your work authentic, they're the people you should yeah. be speaking to. Um, and in many ways, that's what we should all be doing is I'm not saying that we can only write stuff that is our life experience. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is if something is very, very much linked to a certain experience and, and you have none of that experience, mm -hmm. then and you can't get that from research or talking to someone um, and you know that there are writers out there that would do it justice, co-write with them if you have yeah. to, you know? Yeah, yeah. There, there are ways of ensuring that things are authentic and that you don't get to a point where you write something and you miss something really obvious. I just think with representation, it's the details mm -hmm. that fix issues in representation. And often the details come from, from knowing that sort of existence in some way. Yeah. Sorry, I thought I was going to sneeze and I didn't. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'll probably sneeze in two minutes and I'm so sorry to have interrupted that. We all That's... thought you were going to make a really deep and poignant point. I didn't. I knew she was going to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> But that brings us full circle, doesn't it, to what we were saying about stick by your your integrity and what you believe in. We need to encourage people to recognise that that's, that's a better thing to do than just panic and take yeah. jobs. Intention's yeah. important, I think, as well. Because, yeah. And by that I mean, I'm always a bit curious as to someone's intentions when they really want to speak on behalf of a marginalised group they are so far removed from mm. they couldn't possibly understand it. I'm always a bit like, why are you so? Why are you in particular so desperate to tell this story? And if you are, like you say, co-write, bring in yeah, the right platform someone, yeah, yeah, platform like, someone that needs that platform. So I'm always yeah. a bit suspicious of that in terms of intention, and it feels a bit like. I mean, oh my god, know. we've talked about this so many times about being three, white. Oh yeah, of women course. Like we're super aware that you know doing this. Yeah. Um, but at the same point, it's it's always been that we are given a platform. It's not yeah. been, yeah. I but I, I think say, that's always been just, the vibe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely think that with you guys, that's always been the vibe with both the the, the podcast and um, the events and yeah. stuff. It's never felt like it's been about you. It's always been about, the, the theme's always been really clear and the people... I would feel sick. I think that's what I was going to say. I would feel sick to my core if somebody thought we were doing white saviour shit. Oh gosh, no. You're <laughs> <laughs> I know I am. It's, but it's like, but it's a big thing because, yeah, no, it is for me. It's such a big thing. I'm like, I can't, I can't understand somebody else's life experience, and I don't want to take that voice from them because as a female, we get our voices taken yeah. from us all the time. So why would I want to do that to somebody else, whatever their gender? 
race, religion, sexual orientation, like everybody should have the right and the choice to have um, their voice heard and also see their voices and their stories on yeah. stage, television, film and things are changing but just not fast enough. But I, th- I think, but I think if you have the power to create a space for those people that haven't had a voice to have a voice, I think that's powerful. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been working on um, the pilot that I was telling you about. Um, did Is I, this the Nancy Drew on Butte? Yeah. The, the, Nancy Drew on Butte. Yes. So nice. I call it the Syrian Nancy Drew on the Isle of Butte because oh, I'm, I'm really intrigued so by um, the Syrian community that got housed on the Isle of Butte. And I grew up thinking I wanted to be Nancy Drew and then realised how super white and problematic she was. Um, <laughs> but oh, I... Problematic fave. Um, <laughs> but I think there's something in the experience of that trauma that someone has um, and trying to fit into a community. But with that project, it's a TV thing. What I've been very clear about with anyone I speak to about it is, look... My intention with that is I had the idea, I'm interested in it, of course I want to write on it, but if we get it picked up, then what I want to do is I want writers that have that life experience to come in and be writing on it. Because, and I've always been really clear about that. Um, if, if it's, it, I've never, I've not been in a, 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 a kind of a refugee community, I've never been through that experience. Um, I know what it means to, feel like you're stuck between two worlds, you know, growing up, immigrant kid. Um, I know the stories of what my, my family background is, you know, my grandparents going through partition, um, what it was like for my dad when he came here, my grandfather and my great-grandfather, all of that stuff. But that, that trauma that comes from that experience of having your entire existence just removed from you... Mm-hmm. And, and finding yourself somewhere so different, I don't truly know what that feels like on an emotional level. And yes, I can read and I can talk to people, but my whole intention with that is I bring in those voices and I, I even if it's someone that's never written before, I, I give them a platform to make that happen. And I think that's the only way we can make change happen. So that's what I meant when I said... You don't need. What well, I'm not saying that you only write what you know. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that even if you're writing stuff that isn't directly your life experience, but you're really fascinated and you've done lots of kind of research and you've spoken to loads of people, um, you can bring in those people to support you in some capacity. Whether that's a script editor who has that life experience, whether that's a co-writer, if it's a TV show, whether it's lots of other writers and, and you have a writer's room, whatever that might be, there's a way of ensuring that stories are authentic without feeling like you can only write yeah. certain things. You yeah. know, we should all be able to write everything, but that should be authentic and, and we should be speaking to the communities that it directly impacts as well. Yeah. 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 100%. I love that. Yes. yes. And you know, yeah, because we, we said it as well, didn't we, outside when we were saying, and I said it earlier, about there are themes that are international. Yeah. That it doesn't matter, like, what country you grew up in. The theme of grief, everybody can, everybody 
at some point in their life will go through grief. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And everybody's form of grief is different, but that actual experience and that that moment everybody will have. So, and you know, like, doesn't matter. It might not be that universal. We're communicating the trauma of having to live in the Isle of Butte. I mean, that's some real shit right there. I'm kidding. I know, but it's lovely. No shame, Butte. You're beautiful. It's lovely, the islands. This guy's in Butte. <laughs> Isle of Butte is gorgeous. Lovely. Yeah, it is. I uh, actually I quickly wanted to ask a wee question just before we finish up. When you started moving into directing, and what was it that drew you first to directing? So I was told quite early on that I was a director. In fact, when I did my apprenticeship, at my interview for the apprenticeship, they said, you're a director. I said, I'm a writer. What are you talking about? Um, and I, because I, I've come from a very word-orientated background, I was a kid that read a book a day. Um, I've always been obsessed with story. I studied literature at uni. Um, and... That was safe and familiar, and I was confident with that, and so I pursued the writing, and and quite a few people tried to convince me in that year long apprenticeship when we had our films commissioned at the end, um I had a film commissioned and then someone else had one done, and the other film my friend that wrote that one he kept saying to me I think you should direct it and I was like I'm not a director what are you talking about and he ended up directing it he he had directed before, um. And I, I was really resistant to it because I was terrified, I think, of all the technical stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what it is, is after I turned down that job in London, I came back up and I managed to get myself onto um, a screen, uh, feature development program that the Playwright Studio were running mm-hmm. with uh, Binger Labs. Um, and I was the youngest, the least experienced person on that. Everyone else was like, they had agents, they'd done loads of stuff before. And I had literally done an apprenticeship, had a short film made through that. And I was just like, why did you let me on to this? <laughs> um, but the, the honest answer, that because I actually did say that to, it was Claire Dow back then that she was running it. And I said to Claire, I said, Claire, why am I on this? <laughs> like, look at all the people around me. There were like nine of us. Um, and I was like, I'm so far removed from who, you know, the experiences that these people have had most of them had been to film school to some extent um and she said your treatment you your treatment it was so intimate and personal but it was so universal and global at the same time and actually it was the it was one of the favorites of the folk at creative scotland and they loved it i was like okay that gave me a bit of confidence and so i wrote this feature i actually i wrote a version of the feature that was crap and I remember my my uh, mentor on that program was um, Olivia Stewart, who's a producer. Um, I remember Olivia once saying to me, she goes, you know, you're more interesting than your film. <laughs> I was like, okay, what does that mean? And so that, what I had been telling her about was how my family came to be here, about losing my grandfather and how kind of traumatic that had been. And actually, I lost my grandfather. He'd gone to holiday, on a holiday to Pakistan and he died three days before I shot my first film. Um, so it was one of those, like, what the hell's going on here? And I AD'd that film as well. Oh so, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, what I did was, through that program, I wrote a feature film, which was essentially a film about my relationship with my grandfather. 
And that was a feature version of a, a short I've now done called Meet Me By The Water. So then I had a producer that came on board um, and she took it places and people kept asking her who's going to direct this. And it came to a point where I was like, crap, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> There's, it's so personal. There's nobody else that can do it. And then I said to her, but I don't know if I can direct. I don't know if I can do it. So then we decided um, that my first fear was working with actors. Can I work with actors? They are awful. Um, <laughs> it was just, I just didn't know if I would be able to get a performance out of them. Right. Like, I, just, I just didn't, I'd never done anything like that before. And we had like a, a little practice thing when I was doing my apprenticeship, but I was so shy, I think, and I'm confident in that respect that I just let the boys do what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And they were obviously so confident in it because they all wanted to be directors. <laughs> um, none of them are now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> none of them. Anyway. Honestly, there were ten of us, three girls, seven boys. Um, and out of us, I think four of us are still in the industry. Me... One of the girls is an editor now, and that's what she always wanted to be. And the other two wanted to be directors, but they both aren't directing, so they're doing other stuff. Um, So, yeah, so long story. Um, So then that was back in 2014, and I wrote this piece, which was literally two people in a room. It was a couple who were breaking up because they'd lost their baby and that had broken their relationship. And then the other kind of angle on it was um, he was a person of colour and she was Polish and, and it was that sort of like racial tension from their families and stuff as well. But it was a really simple kind of two-hander, really. Um, and so we decided we would do that. My little sister had just moved into a flat, so she still had lots of boxes lying around. So we filmed it in her living room, spent 50 quid on transport and catering, that was it. Got some uh, friends to come in and shoot the thing. The cinematography's terrible. Um, and it, we shot it in a day. So I, I built in whatever I wanted to do. So I said, right, I want two days rehearsal with the actors. Doesn't need to be in the space, it can be anywhere. I just want to be able to talk to them and, and, and feel it out and I just took to that really naturally and we made that film and it somehow got into the Glasgow Short Film Festival um, it also impressed and that little short film um, also was one of the reasons I got onto the Scottish Film Talent Network's New Talent Shorts because they love those performances um, and it's also the film that got me my directing job on the break. So mm-hmm. the episode I did of that, again, it was because of their performances. So I love working with actors and I really enjoy that <laughs> process. Um, and I think I'm good at it. And it, even now, my journey as a director, my fears are the technical side of things because I've never been to film school. I've never done any of that stuff. Um, and so those are my biggest fears. But a good DOP, um, mm-hmm. a good crew helps you do that. But what I'm doing with my directing journey is I am taking baby steps, in a sense, and I'm making sure that I'm comfortable with it. And people have said to me, you know, um, so I shadowed on Molly and Mac last year, um, and I shadowed Adrian Mead mostly, and I also shadowed um, Stuart Davids, who mm-hmm. also works from River City. And um, they were both really amazing, gave me loads of time. Adrian was brilliant. Um, and again, that was an opportunity where they knew that I wanted to direct. So they approached me and said, would you be interested in shadowing on the show? And I said, absolutely. And then 
they found the money for me to do that. Um, so I felt really blessed that that was like a, a really tailored opportunity. Um, and then hopefully I'll get a chance to direct something this year with some support. Um, but I remember a friend of mine who had been um, on the River City scheme had been shadowing Stuart and Stuart mentioned me to him and then he messaged me, uh, my friend Tim, and he was like, Stuart's been raving about you. He's saying you should be doing stuff on River City. And I was just like, that's amazing. I would be terrified to do River City <laughs> until I've gotten at least a little bit more under my belt because it just seems so intense. Yeah, the yeah. Yeah, mm. but do you know, there have there been loads of really amazing female directors and that's been a conscious effort that they've made to ensure that that, that change is happening. So I feel like those changes are starting to happen. Um, and hopefully I'll, I'll get I'll get to a point where I feel really confident directing, you know, longer pieces. Eventually I want to, the other feature I've got in development, which is a female road trip film about two sisters that drive their gran from Scotland to Pakistan. Um, I, I want to direct that. So um, I want to get to a point where I'm really confident um, in, in doing that. Mm. So... The support is there, and I have to say, I had a lot of when when I got onto the new talent shorts program with the short film version of Meet Me by the Water. Um, there, the exec there at the time, Claudia Youssef, was a massive champion of mine, and I have to say that she gave me so much confidence in myself, and she really helped me um, get to a point where I thought I can, you know, I can do this. She had such belief in me. Even now, she's one of these people that will send people my way sometimes and say you should talk to Raisa about this and 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 it's really fab when you find those people that are your champions um, and I think that all comes back to me getting into a place where I, I'm just really open and honest and I, I don't I don't bullshit I just kind of go this is what I can do this is what I maybe don't feel confident enough doing and I did that on the break I said to the folk at the writer's room I said look I am a little bit worried about not having a good shot list and things like that. And so they arranged for me to have a, a female director as a mentor who uh, turns out to be someone I knew anyway. Um, and we basically had a chat on the phone and I sent her my shot list and she goes, your shot list perfect. What are you worried about? Yeah. Um, and, and so those little things by me just being, look, I, I just need a bit of support yeah. here and need a bit of support there. I think because I'm really open and honest about it, um, people will say, oh, okay, well, we'll build that in for mm -hmm. you. And that's really nice mm -hmm. because I think initially your fear is always, if I tell them that I can't do this or I'm worried about this, they might change their mind mm -hmm. and give it to someone else. Mm -hmm. But actually what you're finding is it's the opposite. They want you to succeed. They're offering you this work because they want you to do it and they'll do what they can to help you do it. And that right there is a symptom of imposter syndrome yeah. exactly that yeah that, that feeling that we've got ingrained in us that we shouldn't be there or we don't belong there that's making us go i can't ask for help because they'll then they'll find me out yeah me out exactly um, so, I, so it's amazing that you've arrived at a place that you can go you know what hopefully I mean it, it always comes back every time I sit down to start to write something new I go how do I write <laughs> I have a moment where it's like I've forgotten how I write and then the first like 10 pages feel like the hardest thing in the world. And then once I'm into it, I'm like, okay, this is happening. But I do have that thing that you were saying before, which is I think I'm, everything I'm writing is crap. Yeah. I think that it's, it's rubbish. And, and my friends are amazing. And my little, one of my sisters 
she, <laughs> poor thing, has me constantly being like, I've got something for you to read. <laughs> like this, this, uh, the pilot, I've got about 33 pages of it so far. And I gave it to her the day before yesterday. And yesterday was like, have you read it yet? She's like, no, I've been working. <laughs> I was like, well, when are you going to read it? I need you to read it. Now. Just read it. And she goes, I'll read it tomorrow. I was like, okay, I'm out all day. I'll speak to you when I get back. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it is sometimes you just, you just need someone else to be like, it's great. It's fine. It's yeah. working. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you just need a bit of reassurance. And I have, you know, I've got really great friends that are writers that will do the same thing. But we do it with each other. Like, yeah. they'll send me stuff and I'll read it for them and I'll send them stuff and they'll read it for me. I think we just need that in life. Yeah. We, we just need a bit of reassurance. Like reassurance and support. I think yeah. that was, like, really what kind of struck me that you were saying there about the people that just supported you. Mm. And what actually happens, whether they're male or female, it doesn't really matter. Um, if we just support each other a little bit more and give each other a helping hand yeah. and there's yeah. change that can happen for help either. Yeah. It doesn't, no. yeah it's just amazing and it's better to do that than to get into to the heart to the midst of it and then and just be like, be like crap um, I'm going to mess this up because mm-hmm. I never asked for help earlier yeah. I think it's always better just to lay your cards out and go this is where I'm at this is where I this is what I feel I need in order to do this yeah. And it's fine for you to kind of then come to realisation if you're not quite ready for it mm-hmm. and say, I'm not quite ready, but what if I shadowed or what if mm-hmm. I I um, did something a bit smaller mm-hmm. and then I came back next year? And, and maybe sometimes I think, is it a bit of a fault that I am so honest? But... I just kind of go, no, life is short and I have no time yeah. to, to kind of mess about. Yeah. I just, I just yeah. kind of lay it out and go, this is where I'm at. Um, which is anytime I meet someone, they go, oh yeah, I know you on Twitter. And I'm like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you know me on Twitter? What have yeah. I said? He's got a wee tiny bit of that. Oh, you're the persistent nasty. You're like, yeah, well, why? What did you read? <laughs> yeah, you do. You just kind of go, what, what, what part of my Twitter do you know? What have I said that drew you to me? But you know what? Our industry is so full of bullshit. When, yeah. When so there's it's honesty lovely. in the room and it's just, it's like taking a big old breath yeah. of fresh air. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So we need it. Um, I kind of were like, we should probably wrap up as much as we could keep chatting um but yeah we should yes we should definitely wrap up so the question Mm -hmm. the inevitable question what is the question the question is what does persistent and nasty mean to you oh i mean everything we've been talking about isn't it Mm. it's it's persevering it's knowing what your truth is and um and feeling confident enough to to make it known, um, and it's support, and it, it's it's that thing of sometimes you might know your truth, but you're having a moment where you need people to remind you that your truth is important and valid, and just as relevant as anyone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it means all of that. Love it. <laughs> I'm absolutely like, obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so inspired and absolutely a little time we bit in love with you. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, honestly, I think it's just brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. And I think we're really, we're really lucky to have had this time, yeah
young girls who've not seen themselves represented will be able to listen to and really think there's space for me it's there's being always made space. And there's going to be more space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if you think that there isn't space, just make it. Yeah. Yes. Do you know? Bump you them can, down that yeah. table. Make the space. There's a lot of mediocre people out there that are taking the space that should be yours. Yeah. Um, and it's time we stop letting them do it. Shimmy on Let's in get there. That on yeah. a t shirt. T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. It. It's been an absolute. Joy. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's been fab. It's just been. Let's have you back. Yes, please. Absolutely. After you've had your holiday. After my holiday. <laughs> get now that holiday booked. Now I need to on a holiday. Get and a And then maybe we'll talk about the holiday. Yeah, that's What does that mean? Holiday podcast. <laughs> we'll put all your holiday pictures on our, on our Instagram. So if you want to see Reese's holiday snaps. My holidays. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything, just before we finish up, is there anyone you want to shout about? Anything um, you're really into at the moment you want to shout about? Or your projects or anything else? Um, do I want to shout about anything? Pure, can you talk about our projects and that? Do you know what I mean? Oh, I mean NDA, NDA. It's not even NDA. Sometimes I worry I'm, I'm too honest and, and I say too much. And then I have like my producer or my agent going, you maybe should not say that. I'm like, oh, sorry. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. No, what do I want to shout out about? Um, I just think there's loads of amazing opportunities out there at the moment and we should absolutely try and grab hold of them if you feel like this is a space you want to be in and you've always felt really unconfident in doing it you know reach out to the people that inspire you if they don't get back to you straight away it's just because they're busy but they will eventually get back to you um, and they will help you if, if they can um, so I would say absolutely do that um, and in terms of um, the stuff that's happening Um, there's always something happening in Glasgow and Scotland, especially kind of over the last couple of years, whatever part of the industry you're interested in, there is something and there's a way for you to find out more and to get interested. So um, start following people on Twitter, start kind of plugging into things like even, you know, the opportunities page on the Creative Scotland Mm. website, things like that, um, where you find out what's happening around you and start getting involved because that first step is scary but once you're in it, it's really funny how you go from having that moment of like, oh my God, am I actually doing this to this is my life? Like, I just, I don't, I, I honestly can't map where it went from me feeling like, what is this? And this is bizarre to, to realizing that this is just my existence. It's bizarre. Speaking <laughs> of Twitter, if people want to follow yes. inspirational oh, people, gosh. where can they find you? They can find me. It's just my name. It's at Raisa Ahmed. And do you have a website or anything? I do have a website. Again, it's just RaisaAhmed.com. It's, it's got a bit more information about my projects. It needs a wee bit of updating. Um, but yeah, so most of the stuff I, I post up on the Twitter anyway. So that's probably the most up to date. Perfect. Okay. Excellent. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. As always, guys, stay nasty. Stay nasty.